Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello, this is 77 Minutes, a Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The only Mavericks podcast to get the final seconds right every time. Perfect execution. I'm Tim Cato. I write and talk about the Mavericks. We've got Bobby Corrala, who has written, often speaks about the Mavericks. He's of Mavs.com, of the Mavs Jumbotron. I like to think of the, uh, the Mavs Jumbotron being your primary employer. I'm of the Jumbotron. That? I do yeah. like that a lot. I'm just yeah. of the Jumbotron now. I got to say, Tim. Uh, the we Jumbotron's seven... Bobby Corolla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm of the Jumbotron. Uh, we had 77 minutes as Austin Garuya on a trade deadline special on our YouTube channel last week. What were you doing the day of the trade deadline? Mm, I was flying between Los Angeles and Sacramento. Well, that night I did. During the day, I was... Uh, typing away on my uh little macbook oh you had a day off in la and you were working that's how this job works mm. it's not as glamorous as it sounds now you oh, know when okay. you put it in those terms okay yeah I nor was you. i invited nor 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 <laughs> did anyone even check in and say hi tim you're probably not around but if you were we'd love to have you on well i hate for that to come out this way wow Sorry. yeah shots at katia already you know, we're going to talk about um, the game that I saw in L.A., the game, the two games that I saw in Sacramento and the game that we saw last night. The Mavericks have not won with Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving on the court together. Is it crisis? Can we overreact? Is this straight a failure? Oh, my God. Everything is going. They meant, you know, at this rate, you know, the stats say they're never going to win again. They're winless. That's How just many- math. How many minutes from midnight are we, man? Is that like eleven fifty eight right now? What's the deal? Oh man, yeah, no the uh, the doomsday clock is uh is it's ticking fast. And you know what? The doom you know, you know how like uh your car clock the clock in your car always like usually gets a few minutes ahead. The doomsday clock maybe it's got a few minutes behind. Maybe we're past it. Ooh. Maybe doomsday has happened. Ooh, well they yeah. are in Denver right now, so we're like an hour behind. Or ahead. Oh boy. Yeah. Either way, there's a, a whole lot to take in all at once. Well, despite the Mavericks st- statistically never winning again, what do you think about the first two games? We've had two games where Carrie Irving has been exactly the player we thought we're, you know, the team was getting on the court. We've had uh, two games of Luca not quite being his sharpest version of self, but hey, man. He just came back from injury. Not too worried about that. What do you make of it? Do you have do you have one big takeaway? Um, 
I guess the biggest takeaway is that it looks like you have two really, 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 really individually talented players playing together for the first time without practicing together at all. That's just kind of what it looks like. Kyrie was and and still has been really good, even in the two games when Lucas come back. But those first two games, he was just so good. But everything that they were doing was so simple. And that's still been the case in the in the last two games, too. But basically, it seems like their direction for him was just go out and just like play basketball like run a pick and roll or ISO or look for cutters. Like don't do any thinking like, let's just go out and play. We'll figure out the hard stuff later. But once Luca comes back, it is a little different. Things inevitably change. You know, you're not really like the point guard anymore. You're the off guard. You're the Jalen Brunson. Uh, and in the first half against the wolves, he had what, like seven or eight shots. Like wasn't super duper involved. It was a lot of Luca. And so it feels like they're both kind of feeling each other out. Uh, the last play is the perfect encapsulation of that. Like and they're both really good, and they both want it, but they just they they haven't figured it out yet. It's actually mild progress that they ran a play that I thought made a lot of sense if they had executed the pass correctly. I think it would have made a lot more sense to put Josh Green on the inbounds and Christian Wood in the corner um, rather than Theo Pinson Pinson inbounding and in Green uh, spacing. But I agree with Josh as the as the trigger man for sure. Yeah, and probably what happens there is a quick two from Luca. If if he's able to make that catch, he probably spins off it with a uh, with an open, you know, with the paint wide open. But it also sets up really well, you know, the shot that Kyrie is most famous for, one that he's already hit in a Mavericks uniform, basically drifting right towards the sideline uh, behind the arc. Uh, I like the play design; it's way better than. Uh, the one play that they've been running uh, in the final seconds, pretty much all season and it did not work. And, but I think, I think that's going to get better. Oh yeah. That, that play that they ran for Luca, they've run that once or twice before. Usually they'll do it like really late in the quarter or like if they have two seconds on the shot clock or whatever, they've run it a couple times. A team ran it against them earlier in the year. And I do not remember who it was. I can't remember off the top of my head, but ever since then they have run it a little bit. And uh, you knew that the Wolves knew what was coming. Like, I knew what was coming. <laughs> and, and if I know, then the other team's coaches know for sure. And so now you're going to have to try and figure out, like, a wrinkle. What happens if they're overplaying that pass? Can you then have Lucas screen for Kyrie? Or, like, there's going to be some sort of uh, tentacle coming off that play. Uh, but, yeah, they'll figure it out. Again, that's a perfect encapsulation, too. Like, what happens now that they know your set play? Now you can actually get creative and figure out Luke and Kyrie, but... They have to be able to practice together in order to figure that stuff out first. Yeah, and again, I'm not vindicating them. This this late game stuff has been an issue all season, but uh, Jada McDaniels is a just cheat code of a defender. And the combination of him and uh, Anthony Edwards, just sensational defense in those, in those last uh, 14 seconds. So you talked about them keeping it simple. Uh, I want to go there. And the idea that the Mavericks, you know, in the two games that Irving played, even the game before that, before he suited up, this team did look a little bit different. I think some of that was them running fairly simple stuff that opponents were not scouted for, were not prepared for. But the Mavericks had more passes. That's something that uh, I saw you tweet about. They really made an emphasis of of running offense through the elbows, through the big men at the elbows. Um, I thought in Monday's game, you saw an early emphasis to get uh, horn sets or basically big, you know, two players at the elbow, two players in the corners and run some action out of there. But Minnesota was much better prepared for that. Uh, Gobert especially was doing a good job pushing whoever the big man out 
whoever the big man was, he was pushing him out past the three-point line. And that just really mucks up and bogs down what you're trying to do with the ball in that player's hands. Because ultimately, Dwight Powell holding the ball, if you get it into him, you're looking for him to quickly release it to you know the, the player that is gaining a marginal advantage of space. And if Dwight Powell is just hanging on to the ball for five, 10 seconds, or if you're not, not able to get it into him until about 12 seconds, 10 seconds left on the shot clock, that's when that stuff stops working and stops looking, you know, fun and fluid and, and enjoyable like it did the first couple of games. What did what, what have you seen on that end? Uh, you know, kind of kind of take it from here. Uh, what has been interesting to you? And and I guess more broadly, like what are some ideas of, of what Irving and Doncic together? You know, how, how do you best use those two? Yeah, so I'll start at the beginning. So Kyrie's games without Luca. They were running stuff that they haven't run in a very, very, very long time. Like in the kid era, since pre-Luca. Like they were running like the pinch post stuff for Kyrie. Yeah, well, no, I'm I'm talking like Monte Ellis, man. I mean, they were running Kyrie off of like pin downs, zippers, pinch posts, things like that, creative ways to get him the ball. And the the important like the important distinction between how they're using Kyrie and how they use Luca is one guy brings the ball up the floor, the other doesn't. Kyrie is like the off guard. Uh, he's Monte, he's Jason Terry, he's Dirk. You have to find a way to get that guy the ball. And they just don't run off-ball stuff with Luka on the floor, or they haven't really throughout his entire career. I mean, maybe his rookie year a little bit, like for Harrison Barnes or something, but for the most part, it's been Luka bring the ball down the floor, or someone else is going to bring the ball down the floor and very early in the shot clock get it to you, and then we're going to run a spread pick and roll or your Spain stuff or whatever. Like It is going to be... Luca at the point of attack. But now with Kyrie, you have that other dimension, that added dimension of off-ball movement, which is something that they've lacked all throughout the, the Luca era, and that opens up all sorts of different things and elements and things that you can include in your offense. Like, for example, um, Josh Green has the ball, Dwight Powell is setting a little pen screen for Kyrie, and then Dwight Powell seals his man. It's an easy dump-off pass or JaVale, dump-off pass down low for a little hook shot. Like, there's so many easy, quick-hitting plays that you can run out of that. Um Luca's going to have to adjust to that. Like you got to get the ball down the floor sooner in order for that stuff to work, right? Like if you're not getting into your offensive set until there's 10 or 12 seconds left in the shot clock, then you are really going to be narrowing down the possibilities of the possession. And that really came to the fore. I feel like against Minnesota, because typically you think of Rudy Gobert as like this drop big, he's going to sink way below the action, stay close to the basket and block all your shots. But Minnesota plays a much more aggressive defense defense <laughs> not defense I guess defense works too but they they especially play an aggressive defense where their big is going to step out they're going to build this really high wall and step out beyond the level of the screen or at the level of the screen and put two guys in your face and if one of those guys is Rudy Gobert and the other guy is Jaden McDaniels that's a whole lot of length and limbs in your face and if Luke is quick enough to get the ball around Gobert well you still have to worry about Jaden McDaniels or if Kyrie gets around Gobert you still have to worry about Anthony Edwards and so you have a lot of length in your face so your really only option is to try and hit the big man or the screener with these little pocket passes. And that's usually Dwight or JaVale or sometimes Christian Wood. But if you're repeatedly doing that over and over again with seven seconds left on the shot clock or nine seconds left on the shot clock and the first pass that those guys can make, that little kick out to the opposite wing, if that's not there, your possession is doomed. You know, you can't do anything. You got to give it to one of those guys and they got to bail you out. And that's where 
I think the practice time is going to matter a whole lot more because eventually if teams are going to be blitzing or building a high wall or if they're going to be showing or if they're going to be adding any sort of extra pressure to the ball handler, eventually that screener is going to be Kyrie or the screener is going to be Luca. And we um, haven't seen that. Yeah, know, we haven't I've seen been... that at all. We haven't really seen a lot of interplay between those two. And I think that that's something that you have to work on. And, and you can't just like put Kyrie out there and say, oh, yeah, uh, here's what we do whenever Luka gets blitzed. I'll draw it for you one time on a clipboard, and then you got it, man. Just go for it. You're going to figure it out. Like, it's a little too complicated to just do on the fly like that. Yeah, and despite that, the Mavericks have scored 131 points per 100 possessions with those two on the court. Yeah, not Clearly, bad. You know, that's blisteringly hot. That is, you know, far, far, far above the the league's best offense. Now, any team that has, you know, in, in lineups that just feature their two best players are going to have numbers that are higher than the league's best offense because, you know, that's the inherent thing about offenses. You have to take your best players off the court. All that said, this is still very, very good. It's only 58 minutes. It's a very small sample size. It will probably come down a little bit. But the early, early returns on it is that these two together have been sensational and that there's a lot more to unlock. You know, and, and it's interesting, you know, if if, if Luca does not adapt and, and if Luca is still preferring more of a slow tempoed pace, um, maybe he only wants to up the tempo early in games and then late in games, you kind of revert back to that spread pick and roll. There's a there's a lot of stuff you can do. You don't have to change what clearly has been working all season, which is Luca Doncic running pick and rolls. You can just improve it. You can you can, uh, you know, build off that. You can have wrinkles to the offense and. Obviously, you have to have an offense that best suits Kyrie when Luca's off the court. You know, that's a big part of this, too. And that's what we saw in the first two games that he played uh, without Luca being back from injury yet. The idea that, you know, you want to maximize uh, what Irving can do, even if Irving could run any, you know, he can play any sort of way. You can run any sort of offense around him. But what's the one that best suits him? And I think as you start getting into the playoffs and as Jason Kidd talks about you know, the next two months of the season, the final two months being um, a, what did he, uh, he said, dress, dress rehearsal. It's a, it's a experiment. It's a, it's a test tube. It's a test lab for being prepared for the playoffs. And when you get to the postseason, one of the best things you could have is flexibility and you can have different looks and you can have different schemes you can revert to if you run into a matchup where what you do best is neutralized by what they do best. That's what they're building to long-term. Yeah, I mean, the ultimate thing is, like, Luca is, I, I don't know, people are already, like, getting, like, preemptively offended whenever anyone suggests that Luca's going to have to adjust, right? Let me just tell you, he's the best half-court basketball player in the NBA. He's one of probably the five best half-court basketball players of all time already, okay? He's incredible, but it's very hard to score in the half-court and you can be really, really good in the half court and still score worse than teams that score in transition more often than you just because scoring in transition is easier. And so, like, Luca is capable of solving a Rubik's Cube in 15 seconds, but, like, Kyrie can also turn an there, offensive there's other, and There's other teams out here, you know, playing tic-tac-toe. Yeah, yeah, it's like an eight-piece jigsaw puzzle. Like, it's way easier. So, like... The ultimate goal of offense is to score. And so the ultimate goal of your offensive system is to create as many easy, reliable, consistent ways to score as possible that don't require your best player to do superhuman things a hundred times per game. And so I think the easiest way for the Mavs to do that is to 
give Kyrie a little more freedom, run Luca and Kyrie stuff together, whether it's like Spain, okay, instead of it being like Dwight Powell and Tim Hardaway, have it be like Kyrie and Tim Hardaway. What happens then? I don't know. Let's see it. Let's practice it, you know, and let's just figure it out. So I think that that's the, that's the next step is finding the, the easy, easy, simple stuff uh, to mix in with the complicated things. Because you're right, you need to be able to play multiple ways, right? I mean, like, you know, the Mavs still scored really well against the Warriors, but it was a lot harder to do than it was against the other teams. And the Mavs just kind of ran out of options at the end of that series. Now, defense is another issue, but I, I will say the, the one other thing that is going to be a huge adjustment, um, a huge quality of life improvement, if you will, for the Mavs uh, on the other side of the All-Star break is you're going to have two of your five non-Luka, uh, non-Kyrie best players back. Maxi Kaliba, Tim Hardaway Jr., they've been out. And so it's been these first two games with it's just Kyrie or it's just Luka out there. They've been surrounded by like Jaden Hardy, Theo Pinson, um, you know, Frank Nilakina, JaVale McGee. You know, those guys probably aren't going to play much, if at all, on the other side of the All-Star break. And so you're going to have much more quality players around them as well, which that should make it a little easier too. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So we have to talk about the defense. I want to start with a offensive perspective on the defense. If the offense is this good, which it already is in some ways, again, we're talking two games. It will not be this good every single night. Kyrie Irving will not play like he did in the fourth quarter every single night, even if that's something he's going to do fairly often, because that is what Kyrie does. He is probably be like a top five offense. You think, right? Top, top five, maybe top three. Why would it be the best? Yeah. I mean, honestly, they might be right. But the question is how much, so there are limits to efficiency. There is a ceiling on how good your offense can be. You can be the best offense in the league, but it cannot make up for an inability to slow other teams down, right? And I guess the question is if the Mavericks are very good right now, 
probably top five. I, I would agree that, you know, if, if nothing were to change, if they were not to become any more synergetic with each other, they're top five, top three right now. As players start coming back and the math hope is that as these two stars and, you know, the offensive cohesion and the ideas that they're trying to implement take hold, that this is just, just about going to be the best offense in the league. None of that fixes what has been a pretty disastrous defensive season. Maxi Kleba coming back does not fix that. He helps, but he does not fix that. Is there something about the offense being this good that will allow the Mavericks to essentially make up ground on the other end? Is there anything that that kind of projects or makes you optimistic that whether it's more defensively focused lineups, and again, there's a defensive talent problem that there's just not, you know, there's not defense only players other than, you know, really Frank Milikina that they can throw out there that would kind of allow this to happen. But maybe that is the answer. You know, maybe Frank Nilakina is in the offense, uh, you know, is in lineups over Jaden Hardy because the offense is so good that they can withstand what, you know, the the uh, the deficiencies that he has on the offensive end. What makes you optimistic that this team is going to be better at stopping other teams from scoring? And optimism is a hell of a drug, Tim. Um, <laughs> I would, I mean... I think it's an old truism, right? Like it's easier to defend and it, it is statistically true. It's easier to defend after you've scored. And so if they just make baskets, then they don't have to defend in transition. That's one way because their transition defense, dude, it is, it's rough. You know, when they miss a shot, especially if they miss a shot at the rim, they're giving up baskets like almost every single time the other way. I mean, like, it's like 75, 80% of the time when they miss a shot, the other team is scoring. And it's been that way for like two months now. And it's just, it's really, really, really hard to come back from that. You know, uh, it's just way too many easy shots. And and also, once they get into the half court, I think with Maxi back, he's not going to erase all of your issues. But if you can contain the other team to just half court or mostly half court offense, then Maxi's presence will make it a little tougher for them to score at the rim. But I mean, dude, like last night, Minnesota was not pushing the pace at all. And Anthony Edwards was still getting to the rim whenever he wanted, you know, and, and I, I don't know what the fix to that is unless you just start basically saying, Hey, Christian Wood, Dwight Powell, you know, we try and play it safe with you guys. We try and have you drop JaVale. We try and have you drop, but we're just going to, we're going to make you play. We're going to make you double team the ball handler every time. Like, we're going to take you out of what we think you're best at, and we're going to try something new and see if it works. Because at, at the rate that they're allowing guys to get to the rim and at the rate that they're fouling players, uh, you can't do both of those things, right? You can either give up a lot of layups or you can commit a lot of fouls. You can't do both. And right now they're near the bottom of the league in both. And so you have to dial up the aggression or you have to just create a new policy and enact a new law where if you get beat, you put your hands behind your back and and you you got to stop fouling because they're they're the number one I think they're still the number one free throw team in the NBA or number 30 I guess depending on your perspective in terms of free throws per field goal attempt allowed just way too many just way too I mean count the and ones last night like it's just brutal right. and they were beat on all of them so like just stop fouling or try and force more turnovers take more chances you know that that's really it um you know I know J kid was kind of J Kid was being a little sassy a few weeks ago whenever he said, "Well, it's a, if we if it's with this personnel, there's not much we can do." But there's truth to that statement. You know, the Mavs can't change their team too much anymore. Luca, Tim, Kyrie, 
Dwight Powell. You know, these are not like elite defensive players. If they're going to be on the floor for 25, 30, 40 minutes a game, you got to take some chances. Um, yeah, I but forgot here's about the, that comment, and they made a big trade, but the personnel as it comes to that in the defensive end, it's it's the same. It's kind of insurmountable, you know, and and that's not to like it's less. I'm not because, being a defeatist you know, or not. Out for, yeah, yeah, yeah. They they got worse on defense after that trade. But here's the thing: their offense is so good that if they they don't need to get that much better on defense, Tim, <laughs> like they don't need to. So you look at the defensive ratings in the in the NBA, the number thirty team, San Antonio Spurs. They allow 120 on the dot, 120 points per 100 possessions. When the Mavs allow at least 120 points per 100 possessions in a game this year, they are 2-16, and 16, which means when they play defense better than the worst team in the NBA, they are 29-12. and 12. They win all That's the time. Stat. Yeah, when they're just it's not the worst. Yeah, it is. Dude, it's a banger. I'm telling you, it's it's uncanny. 117.9 and up. They're 29 and 12, dude. So, like, they can play in shootouts. They'll win a lot of shootouts because they're just that good on offense. And also some because of what you were be saying. the just, worst. Yeah, just a second ago when you were saying it's easier to play defense when you're defending. You know, I think a lot of those games that they were not defending at all, that means they weren't making shots at the end, other end. You know, there is a... Uh, synergetic effect there's a better word for that but you know there's a correlation there's a dual effect. yeah correlation thank you thank you mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. there's definitely a correlation between those two there but uh it's a real thing like you said yeah here's the here's the stat. i'm waiting for pvp stats to load here so that i can i can tell you the stat but following a missed field goal against the mavs this season teams are scoring 1.23 points per possession which is tied for dead last in the nba with Utah 1.23 points per possession off a missed shot. That's not including turnovers. That's not including anything. That's just straight up. When the Mavs miss a shot, the other team is scoring a two point shot. 60% of the time. That's what that means. Um, it's just, that's really, really bad. So you, you, you have to make your shots or you have to get dramatically better at transition defense. Um, but Based on the the Christian Wood and Luca clips that are <laughs> always circulating Twitter, I'm not sure how much better they'll get at transition defense this season. Uh, so the only solution is to just make more shots and just don't be the worst. That that is the threshold. Just don't be the worst, and you're going to win a lot of games. Yeah, it it almost sounds like a, a madman, you know, a lunatic just ranting to the skies. The defense will be better if the offense is, you know, if we score more points. You know, it, it it almost sounds, you know, counterintuitive, but you're 100% right. You know, getting the Mavericks into half-court defensive, you know, their half-court shell defense more often is helpful. And to do that, you just put the ball in the basket more often. And, you know, Irving is somebody who's going to give them, uh, you know, they're going to make more shots. They were so three-point reliant when they were running Lucas spread pick and roll. Another thing that shifting to the slightly different offensive approach, uh, you know, that's going to give them more two pointers. You know, they're going to shoot more twos. They're going to likely shoot less threes. Still a lot of threes. Don't get me wrong. A lot, a lot, a lot of threes. But, you know, I think the theory is that that Irving obviously is somebody who puts pressure on the rim uh, a little bit less so this season. But he's, you know, he's somebody who takes a lot of shots inside the arc. That's for sure. And he makes more than 50 percent of them. Um, you know, more than, you know, about 50% of his mid range and, and floaters and, you know, obviously a higher percentage at the rim. That's a good thing. You know, that's a good thing because when you're, you know, 
before the trade, this was the most, uh, you know, this was the team that shot the most, the highest percentage of three-pointers, you know, out of all their offensive possessions. The three-point rate was the highest in the league. And, you know, that was the best approach for this team to score. But it also means that when you rely on threes that much, threes are just inherently, you know, even though you get an additional point, you're going to miss more of them, more, you know, more fast breaks uh, coming back your way off off missed uh, shots and especially missed shots that are going to uh, go long, that are going to carry them, you know, who knows where. And so, yeah, this this does build on each other. And, you know, there is a real argument that you've talked me into. Not that this is going to be a top 10 defensive unit. You know, I think that's the aspiration, but that's a very, very high aspiration based off the talent on this yeah, team. That, that ain't going to happen. I mean, they're so far behind yeah. the eight ball now. They could be exactly. the number one defense after the All-Star break. They'll still probably not make the top 10. And I guess, I guess I just mean, you know, what really matters is how they're playing the next two months. Um, I, but again, what they should be aiming for is of average, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit above, you know, if they can get there, we're taught, we're asking some serious questions about what they can do in the postseason. Yeah. I mean, and they still play to do that. Slow pace. It's offense first. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry to cut you off. But, um, no, good. They play at such a slow pace that if they shave off one or one and a half points from their defensive rating, that's one or one and a half points per game. Basically. I mean, the map, that's even more than that because the maps play fewer than 100 possessions per game. So like, Right now, they're 115.1. They're tied for 22nd. If they shave one point off, then they're tied for 19th. If they shave one and a half point off, they move all the way up to 15th. Like, that's extremely doable. We're talking, like, correct one mistake per game. That's that's it. That is literally all it takes to be a borderline top half, like flirting with the top 10 defense. Um, it's, just, it's just a matter of can they do it. And, and that's going to take... Everybody, that's Luca, that's Kyrie, that's Wood, that's Hardaway, that's all of the players that aren't the defensive specialists, they're all collectively going to have to get better too in order for that to be the case. And this whole thing, everything we just talked about, uh, it makes me feel quite good that this team is going to be very good in the regular season the rest of the way. What it might not do, same as before, is mean that they have a legitimate, you know, tried and true method to win multiple playoff series. But... We'll get there. There's two months of the season left. There's plenty of games. We're gonna watch it all. That, that's that's a question for later. Right now, they do have they do have an break. easy schedule the back half yeah. of the season too. They do have an easy schedule, so that's that's pretty good. I, I feel pretty good. They're gonna go on a pretty dominant run, and I think the big question is uh, what it means uh, headed into mid-April. But again, we'll get there. There's plenty of time to to think about and discuss and, and figure all that out. Um, in the meantime, it should be a lot of fun. That's for damn sure. On that note, thanks for listening. And here's this for a perfect outro. Perfect final few seconds. We'll see ya. He plays Fortnite just like me. I am 34. Don't fight the future, honey. Don't fight the future. The future is Luke, a big dick donchage from the home of Melania Trump. How many kids you have? Don't fight the future. It tears me apart. Don't fight the future. Please be nice to Luca. Future four-time MVP. Oh my God! Shut it down! Let's go home! (laughs) It's a wrap, Doug! That is a wrap.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.